Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Now today on the roundtable, we're talking about the fighter and character backgrounds in D&D Next. But first, let's meet the panel. With me today are Andrew Kane. Hey, hey, hey. Alex Basso. What's up? Joe Lestowski. Howdy. And Greg Blair. Dude, he stole my intro. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to talk about the fighter, which is why today's get to know you question is... What is your favorite fighter archetype? Alex Basso, let's start with you. All right. So my favorite fighter archetype is sword and shield all the way, straight up. You know, ever since I, I started game and I've always had like a fascination with uh, building as much armor class on a character as possible. <laughs> so getting like that massive tower shield and heavy, heavy plate armor and just being an immovable object in a fight, I love it. And that's always, I don't know, it's the coolest fighter to me. Nice, nice. Sword and board, a classic for our first start. Andrew Kane, your favorite fighter archetype. I'd have to go with uh, the two-weapon fighter, most particularly because whenever I think of the two-weapon fighter, I picture the uh, Roman gladiator, the Retiarius, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the trident net fighter, which uh, is never a character I would ever create, but (laughs) I love that visual. (laughs) And so uh, even though if a two-weapon fighter would probably have two different weapons and that, in my mind, that's just kind of, I just love it. Nice. I love the reference and I love the choice. Joe Lestowski, let's see if you can steal Greg's answer this time around. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Staff Fighter, uh, both because of my love of Donatello from the Ninja Turtles and from the old movie Beastmaster when he meets that guy on the raft and he has the staff that he passes back and forth hand-to-hand. He just looks really cool. Nice. And... uh I played a staff fighter in a 4E before I started DMing Encounters. I, I was playing Encounters, and I got to play a staff fighter, and it uh, it just worked really well. And with the staff expertise, he had reach, and it was just a cool kind of concept, so it worked really well. Nice, nice. And the famous uh, Friar Tuck, right, was a staff oh, fighter yeah. as well from yep, Robin yep. Hood. Yeah, yeah. Greg Blair, was your answer staff fighter? It was not, sir. Although I like that answer. That's a that's a good one. Um, kind of kind of out of left field there for me. This was actually probably one of the hardest questions you've ever hit me with, James, because there's just so many awesome styles. I mean, you know, two weapon fighter. I like the the net uh, trident and net. That's really cool. Um, then you the duelist just always makes you think of somebody like Sirio Pharrell from Game of Thrones. That guy's kind of the man. But lately, I've been on. A super like two-handed weapon, whether it's a giant ass sword or you know a big pole arm, something like that. I'm all about the two two-handed fighter right now, so I'm gonna have to run with that. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say a staff is a two-handed weapon. <laughs> your answer was stolen again. <laughs> Separated at birth, Joe Lisowski, great player. <laughs> There's worse people to be surprised twins with (laughs) (laughs) the reason we're talking so much about the fighter is because there was an article posted in the legends and lore weekly updates from mike merles 
about the fighter and that there is a new subclass of fighter called the Battlemaster. And the Battlemaster, he says, is sort of like your fourth edition fighter. He's got a lot of different maneuvers that grant him abilities, some which are a little warlord-esque. They give people extra movement or they might grant an ally an attack in place of your own. Or some that are a little more just in general maneuvery, a big sweeping attack that can attack multiple enemies, a parry or a counterattack, that kind of thing. So they're a fighter who has a lot of different options in combat. I think this is a great addition to the fighter class. I think it's something that's going to make a lot of 4th edition junkies very happy. And I know that I want to hear from Alex Basso first, because I think this is the fighter he has been waiting for. No, I love maneuvers. Um, they add that complexity that I feel like the fighter's really lacking. One thing, though, is, you know, they keep saying it's going to be an archetype of the fighter. So I, one, I hope that maneuvers are baseline. You know, I don't want to be forced to choose between, you know, like as a path to take maneuvers. I feel like, you know, they're, they're kind of, they add complexity, but they're not super complex. So I, think, I hope every fighter can get them. Um, but I love also the variety. My favorite you know, they're bringing it back, the the Warlord-type maneuvers. I really like that. I like that addition to the fighter class, and it it does bring back the Warlord into, you know, into next. Um, you know, fighter's just a super simple class without maneuvers, and I think they're really, you know, they make it a lot more interesting to me. I disagree with you, sir. Um, I don't think that fighters, all fighters, should get maneuvers. Um, here's why. They In the, in the follow-up article the D&D next Q&A, the rule of three deal, right? They talk about fighters being able to pick up more maneuvers through feats. And I think if all fighters got them, I think it'd be too powerful because the maneuvers themselves, some of them are part of an attack, which is something that for me wasn't super clear from the original Mike Merle's article. But, you know, like, oh, I'm going to trip this guy and hit him. That seems really powerful for all fighters to get. It's possible it could be too powerful, but you know, just reading from the lists or just from the articles, you know, it was explained that it'd be a rest requirement between maneuvers. And I feel like a lot of maneuvers are really specialized. You know, you're not always going to have a situation uh, where you're going to be able to use whatever maneuver you decided to take. And if you just limit the amount, you know, there's 16 maneuvers, so you get one every three or you know five levels, and you you know you only have one or two dice. Like there's not that many. Uh, I feel like it's not gonna really overpower it. Um, one thing I really hope they don't do, and I'm going to go back to a couple, like, well, I don't know, but a playtest we did about a year ago. I remember they had, like, a power attack maneuver, which was, like, the best one by far. Um, when it comes to balancing maneuvers, there there can't be a clear favorite. Like, if there's one that's just default, like, always a good choice, that could really screw up. And that would, I'd agree with Greg, if there was something like that, then maneuvers can't be around. But if they balance them out and make them specialized enough so that you don't always have the option to use it, uh, then I think it would be good for everyone. Andrew Kane, what are your thoughts on the Battlemaster? I like it. I think it does add some interesting nuance to the class. I, I liked what was noted in the article about how kind of fighter is the baseline class and that a lot of other classes are spun out of this, that certain aspects of the fighter without other things... Uh, and so I, I like the idea that sometimes because of that, the fighter might be a little more static, whereas a lot of other classes have a little more um, flexibility and fluidity to them. So I like the idea that as kind of the, 
kind of the the centerpiece of it all, the fighter being a more, uh, adding the opportunity to make them a more nuanced piece. Now, of course, you could always just be the guy that, you know, runs in and is dealing a lot of damage, you know, not, you don't need to get too crazy with it, but you'd also have that opportunity to, to, to play around with it a little more. There's a lot of customizability in the fighter, and this gives you some interesting options to add on top of that. Joe, what are your thoughts? I know you felt like perhaps this build of fighter wasn't different enough from the fourth edition fighter. Well, I, you know, I, I feel that way, but I like that. Uh, fourth edition is my favorite edition, and um, and I've played a lot of editions, but I, I feel like four was had a lot of good things going for it, and it looks very much like like that's what they're trying to do as they keep getting more and more feedback from the closed play test that they're doing now, uh, and they've, you know, the maneuver dice are going to uh, reset uh, every encounter or after a short rest. Uh, so that's more like having encounter powers. Um, one thing that I hope they pay special attention to is that I noticed that uh, some of the maneuvers uh, let you force an enemy to move, allow an ally to move, or sweep your weapon through an area damaging several foes. That sounds very tactical mappy to me, and if they design the base game without a tactical map, I think that's going to lead to a lot of confusion if you've got somebody playing one of these battle masters. Um, and as an organized play uh, DM, you know, for, I do D&D Encounters right now, uh, I, I think that should be very clear so that you, you can avoid those sorts of confusing situations uh, in organized play settings. Yeah, organized play is very important. I think that makes a, a, a great point. Uh, and I think grid combat is probably something we are going to see that maybe gets enveloped in that, at least for your, your bigger organized play battles. They may provide a, you know, a grid or say, this battle is meant to be had on a grid or, or that kind of thing. Um, you know, when you're fighting for goblins, maybe not as much, but I don't know. Uh, that's a great point. Greg? Yeah, I feel like they would have to give some kind of indication like that for future D&D encounters packets or what have you. Because, I mean, otherwise, I guess you could theater of the mind some of this stuff. But I don't know. I, on the on the other hand, I would be upset if they made the, the miniatures, the battle maps kind of thing core like they did in 4E. I really like how we flip back and forth during the course of our, you know, online games. Even for some of the, the bigger battles, I think it can be kind of cool. It makes things go a lot faster. So, I don't know. I, I do agree with Mr. Velociraptor that it should be a <laughs> lot It should be a lot more explicit. And I, but I think that's something that uh, Mike Merles kind of does a lot. He dangles some meat in front of us, but then just chucks it away before we can really get a taste for what's really going on. Uh, just for the listeners at home who don't understand who the Velociraptor is, he's speaking to um, to keep uh, prospective jobs and things from finding me online. I often use Velociraptor as a last name in uh, social media settings. Uh, oh, yes, yes. So that's the in-joke there that they, you probably aren't getting. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just assumed that everyone who listened to the to the podcast would see your comments, right? So <laughs> That's entirely possible, but just, you know. That's fair. There is no to be to be even more fair. There is no Joe Lastowski for me. There is only Joe Velociraptor. <laughs> would that you could make that your real last name, Joe? That would you know. I I when we got married, you know, they let you do that. You can change your last name to whatever you want. My wife wouldn't wouldn't go for it on the actual name, but she said we could do it on Facebook. So 
uh, well, that's a pretty special lady if she's letting you do it on Facebook. So, <laughs> Greg. Agreed. <laughs> at large, we're seeing that the Warlord, not only is it being folded into the fighter class, which we've known about for quite some time, but now we're seeing it sort of being folded into this subclass that can be many different things. What are you guys' feelings about that? Do you want to see the Warlord as its own class or as its own subclass? Or are you cool with this execution with the little bit we know about it right now? Right now, uh, my wife's in the other room watching Glory. And it got me thinking a lot about fighters and the differentiation between them. Because you've got you know all the, different, all the different actors are all playing soldiers in the army. And I got to thinking that, you know, it makes sense to have a warlord because you've got, you know, you've got the the inspirational one and you've got the the one, you know, the the stronger one and the brainier one. And like you, you've got everybody all together. But I, I like that they're all variants on the same thing so that you know that, well, that guy in uniform, yeah, he's a battle master. That's his thing. He might have different specialties, but I, I, I'm OK with it. I, I don't think Warlord for me was a, you know, it was a fourth edition, I think, uh introduction i didn't see it i don't remember seeing it prior to that and and so i'm okay with it being a a variant of the fighter uh like i think they tried to make it when they tried to pull all the essential stuff together uh in 4e i think they tried to do that then as well i surprisingly at first when i heard no warlord i was kind of bummed about it but through this i too have become okay with it i think it's good what they're doing and I would actually be excited uh, looking at this new Battlemaster class. I was kind of thinking, like, it would be kind of cool to have a big fighter party with a bunch of fighters, you know, or a bunch of people who were multi-class fighter something. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, kind of like like the Power Rangers would all be fighters. (laughs) Or or monks, I guess. It would be monks, but still. still. (laughs) Greg. (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about that Power Rangers thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you don't, wouldn't even have to multi-class in that case. Uh, as Rodney Thompson points out in the third question on that rule of three, they're going to have a feat where you can pick up superiority dice and maneuvers. So you don't even have – the thing I really like about the maneuvers kind of defining this warlord role is that you don't really have to be a fighter to be the warlord, to be the officer, to be the tactician. You can be any class and pick up this feat and now all of a sudden – You've got kind of some warlord things, which I think is awesome because I don't, I don't think a warlord really deserves to be its own separate class. You know, in 4E, I can kind of understand why they did it because they had all these different powers and the way that kind of was laid out. So you had to differentiate and they needed a, a fighting healer role, but I don't, I don't want that next. I don't want five different kinds of, well, he's a cleric, but not really. You know, if you're going to be a healer, just just be the healer. It's okay. Well, and I like the fact that um, I know a lot of times people don't use feats as as rewards or treasure, but uh, the sort of idea that like if you're doing a campaign in a war setting and your general dies, whoever steps up to the plate is going to get that feat to get a couple different warlord powers because they have to suddenly be the general now, and they're not as good as it as the old warlord used to be, but they've got to do that now. And I, I kind of like that you can, there's a mechanical way to express that now. Well, let's uh, take a break and hear a word from our sponsor, noblenight.com. Hello. Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness. Adventurers, we need a noble knight. 
Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast, he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot in a way only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha! I got to do something to help out. And we're back. Now we're going to talk about a impromptu live Q&A that Mike Merles did with some of the design team. And from watching that, we've heard a little bit before here and there in articles about this idea of your background is not only going to be tied to languages and skills and proficiencies like it is in the playtest, but now it's also tied to flaws and ideals and traits and bonds that your character is going to pick up and you have the option of either hand picking these off a list or they're on randomized roll tables so you can roll to assign those features to your character these are things that define your character's personality and past and just sort of help develop the person at the table for role playing which i think is pretty awesome. I'm excited about this. We're going to link the entire Q&A within our show notes here because there's a lot of other information we get about monster stat blocks and battle grids and prestige classes and the like. But for now, we're going to focus on the character backgrounds and the new add-ons that come with them. Andrew Kane, how pumped are you? You know I'm pumped. Uh, as, as I've referenced before, uh, James, you've received double digit length character histories from me in the past. And so I like, I like things that add into what goes into the, the story of the character, what, what might, um, why they might act certain ways, et cetera. And, you know, I, I always liked obviously, um, alignment and i think this adds in other ways of of making your character do particular things or why they might um why they might pursue a particular action or something so i really like the idea i also like that you have the opportunity to randomly roll or choose depending on what you're going for uh because it could be fun to get if you do the random roll um to get maybe even conflicting uh traits or something that could lead to some interesting role playing opportunities Absolutely, or if you're having trouble fleshing out, I know I want to play a druid, but I'm not sure what sort of druid I want him to be, the random rolls can help you there. A or, druid who hates nature. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that would be quite the flaw. <laughs> a reluctant druid. <laughs> I guess I'll defend the forest. <laughs> Alex Basso, what do you think about this? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I love uh, random rolls. As someone who's the opposite of Andrew um, and just shows up, mostly, you know, this is the class I want to play, and eh, I think I'll be good this time. Uh, having random rolls to help flesh out my character is going to help a lot. Um, it'll give me kind of a, a good starting point to help develop the character and then, you know, give me approach any encounters. 
So random rules, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so I can you know, focus even more on building a, a strong character to win all those fights. I think something else that, well, let me put it this way. Anytime they want to introduce more random, random tables to roll on, I'm a fan. I thought that was fun. I was kind of sad when that started to go away a little bit um, towards the later editions. But it also provides, I look at it kind of like as a, as a writing prompt. You know, within that, if you, if you get the random roll, now all of a sudden you have to create something within this kind of narrow, more narrow field. So you got to build off it. You got to find something cool. I could also see different scenarios where instead of a DM saying, okay, pick your flaws or I'm going to randomly roll for all your flaws. Maybe, uh, all right, you pick one or two flaws or however many the number's going to be. And then I'll roll for the rest to kind of get the combination. But I think it's, it's important to note here as well that, and, and Mr. Velociraptor, please jump in here and correct me. I think your, your history is a little better than mine. But I can't remember D&D making you take, well, obviously all these systems are optional, but putting giving you a negative thing. Like, I mean, in older editions, okay, some of the monster stats would be, oh, plus two here, uh, not monster, race stats would be plus two here, minus two there. But I feel like that was kind of the extent of it. But a lot of other systems, well, you must take disadvantages, like in GURPS, or you must have flaws, um, like in, I think, the White Wolf games. I think you were talking yeah. about that, Joe. Like, you must have these things. And I think it's kind of interesting to see D&D at least putting in an optional system where that's a thing. Like, has that, did they used to do that ever? Because I can't, I'm not, I'm coming up blank, Joe. Well, the, the biggest flaw that they used to have was a thing called Thacko. Uh, <laughs> everybody had it. And, uh, <laughs> it was confusing backwards math. And it meant that every time you rolled a dice, you had to add something and then subtract something and see if it was greater than the absolute value of the negative armor class you were trying to hit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Take it. But besides that, uh, besides that, no, there, I, I haven't, at least in my experiences, I have not seen uh, a, a, a system uh, in place in D&D that's, that's sort of it kind of required that uh, at the, uh, from the get-go. And, and I really like it. And I like that so far what it sounds like is that they're not going to be, and this has this mechanical uh, effect on you type of flaws. Uh, yes. It sounds like they're more... They're more role playing related, and as a DM, uh, especially a DM for uh, frequently for brand new players, if they're looking for ways to be drawn into the story, and they see my character sheet says I'm a fighter and I've got a sword, what does that mean? You know, if they then see that they've got these these uh, you know these flaws, that's something that I can use to draw them in. I'd be like, oh well, you know, your character is kind of an overeater, so uh, he's really attracted to this bakery where this NPC is going to talk to him now. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree completely, and I think it's also a great way they have this bonds section that you can talk about. So you know what your character, not only how they are, for lack of a better term, human, how they're flawed, and what that means, but you also know what their ideals are, what they hold dear, what's important to them in life, and they're coming in with those. They're not forming that. They're coming to the table with those things already formed, which I think is is helpful. I know a lot of people do that on their own, but I think, like you said, new players, that sort of helps solidify. This is what makes this game different than Sorry or Monopoly. 
you know, the, the yes, we have all these wonderful mechanical rules that help us know that a fireball is yay big and does however many D6 damage, but then this is what it's really about is if you get to play a fun overeater, you know, you get to embrace that and you can run with that. Or if your guy is terribly afraid of insects, you can delve into why is that and, and that sort of thing. And the next time they fight, you know, a giant ant, your guy cowers in the corner the whole time. You know, it's, there's fun stuff going on there. And I, I love that it's embracing that heart and soul of the game. Well, I just wanted to say I wanted to give a, a hat tip to Greg because I thought what he said, the idea of it being like a like a writing prompt was fantastic. And I just really like that because it provides an opportunity, as you just said, James, to delve into the character without it being... Um, terribly it's it's not constraining your character to the point where you're locked into something permanently or anything like that but it gives a lot of opportunity to um explore that and i think particularly if you're someone who you know uh, D has a lot of different ways of engaging the game and i think some people like certain aspects and don't enjoy others as much others like all of it etc cetera, etc cetera. and so i think by building in the opportunity to randomly roll or pick allows people who maybe don't look at that part as in, as interesting to engage in that more deeply. Uh, and I think, it, again, it provides the opportunity for interesting stories. I think it was um, in the Q&A, the, he referred to his character as being lawful neutral. His word is his bond, but he's also OCD. Um, and I just, mm. it, you know, like just thinking about how that all would play out in any given scenario that either he finds himself in or the DM sets up for him would be fascinating. And I just love that that, is part of the game. Um, and I think that's a, a great, great thing to have. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who forces himself into the dark, dank dungeon because his friends are going in, but he's constantly <laughs> keeping his shoes clean. <laughs> Man, just the image of that is so, so uncomfortable. I feel so awful for that character. I don't even know what to say. But I, in... One thing about all these giant tables, and, and I appreciate that, Andrew, is I think for me, and especially in fourth ed, I get so overwhelmed by all the choices, right? And just to, like, there are so many possibilities. That's why we play this game, right? One of the reasons, anyway, is so many possibilities, so many things you can create. Oh, gee, I don't know what to make now, you know? But it's cool. You get... The, the random table, get a couple interesting flaws. Now you've got a, a nice little nice little space that kind of narrowed it down a little bit. So I think it's definitely awesome. I just, no, no OCD in the dungeon, though. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say for, for DMs, too, I think having more personality quirk-type tables available will make it easier when your players inevitably go off of your script and go to talk to somebody that you haven't written up yet uh being able to just quickly say okay he's a he's a blacksmith so i'll use the fighter table here and i'll roll the okay so he's surly and he's got a fear of fairies okay that's great so that's now i've got my npc you know and that that i think is super helpful again you know as a writing prompt kind of thing but as a DM, you're writing all the time, and sometimes you're writing from the seat of your pants while your players are waiting for a response. So I think that's a really helpful tool as well. For me, having those prompts, like Joe said, is is very helpful because if I know your character has this flaw of OCD or your character has this bond 
to another PC in the group or to his wife back home or to his guild, whatever it may be, that you can use those things to help keep players engaged in moments when it's like, oh no, what do I do? Oh right, that, you know, the glutton guy. Maybe there's something that we can do with him. He's he's running out of trail rations. What's he gonna do? You know. Um, so I think I think going into that well is not only is it good for the DM, it's also fun for the players because then you get to have that moment outside of combat that is also fun where you get to shine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In fact, there's another system, the uh, the Star Wars Edge of Empire that uh, Fantasy Flight uh, put out recently. Uh, they have a um, um, table that you roll at the beginning of each game as a as a game master and that determines which one of the characters you're going to focus on their sort of their um their their flaws or their their background character things and everybody has two or three of those on their sheet and it's a it's a way of helping each each character feel engaged in the story session to session because you know okay that well this time you know we're we're going to focus on the thief stuff and we're going to say okay so he's got this and so somebody who who cares about that will show up and and uh, I think that's a way of of helping to, if you see a player starting to drift away, or you've got a player who's you know on their phone all the time. You, you've got a list of things that you can do to engage their character to help bring them back to your table, which is awesome. Um, I give you guys so much credit just for the responsibility that you have for everyone's enjoyment and to to make everything so balanced and keep people engaged. Like that's that's pretty impressive. So I guess any tools that wizards can throw in there to help you, right? Because we're like, oh, yeah, player stuff's cool. I think DM stuff is is maybe more important. And this is this is an interesting step in that direction. I didn't really look at it that way. But listening to you guys talk, it really does seem like it helps you a lot. When the D&D Next stuff first started coming out, it felt very much like they were offloading a lot of the work to the DMs. Uh, where um, and and as a DM, it it felt really overwhelming. It was like, uh, you know, figure out how to do this. Here's some basics for the town, and especially the first couple adventures um, and some of the D and D encounter seasons have been like that, where they give you a little bit, but they don't really they they don't flesh it out to the level that they used to in some of their other things. And so it was just like, yeah, figure out how this happens. Throw in some encounters here. Make this work. And I, I felt very much sort of abandoned by uh, by Wizards of the Coast, and now that I'm seeing these uh, additional design things coming in, it's it's feeling more like they they've said, okay, we recognize that now we're going to stick in some tools to make it easier for the DMs, and I really I really appreciate that. Uh, makes my job a lot easier. Well, I think that's going to do it for the roundtable this time around. Andrew Kane, where can people find you? As always, you can find me in the Twitterverse at Cavalier Kane. That's K-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-K-A-N-E. Get ready. And Greg, where can people read about your GURPS adventures? Oh, nowhere, man. I haven't played GURPS in a while. It's so hard with real life. But if you want to read about Peter Del Orto's awesome gaming group, which I haven't been enough part of, you can go check out dungeonfantastic.blogspot.com. <laughs> Your life's about to get a lot crazier too, bud. So. Ooh, babies. <laughs> <laughs> Literally babies. Uh, <laughs> Joe, where can people find you? Um, my uh, local gaming store, I do a blog there, What the Average Joe Thinks. It's reviews of gaming products. That's modern-myths.com. Uh, if you're in the western Massachusetts area and you happen to 
come into Northampton on a Wednesday, come play Encounters with me there. Uh, and also, uh, all the month of April on DungeonsMaster.com, I am contributing. They're doing an A to Z challenge with Adventure Hooks. And so every day is, is the next letter and uh, Adventure Hooks related to a thing in that letter. So I did, uh, a couple days ago, I did one all on dragons that were adventure hooks that didn't involve fighting dragons, but still had dragons prominently in them. And there's a couple others coming up too. So worth checking out. That sounds pretty awesome. I definitely want to check that out. Alex Basso cannot be found. Nope. No connections to the internet at all. (laughs) Except for this Nope. None at all. (laughs) If you're a listener to the round table and you don't personally know Alex Basso and you can find him, I will give you a dollar. Oh, no. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I'll, I'll give you $10 for your legal defense fund for stalking. <laughs> and if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can reach out to any of these guys in the ways that they have expressed you may reach out to them. Or you could leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, which is thetomeshow.com. And shameless plug, check out my new blog, which is all about Exploration Age. That's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. It's okay. pretty awesome. Ah. Yeah, you guys are going to be so jealous that I'm going to be playing this campaign. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> And thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to Andrew Kane, Alex Basso, Joe Listowski, and Greg Blair. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable.